seems like everybody wants to be an actor these days. Well, is it an actor or is it more of an influencer and a celebrity? I don't know. And, and then at this point, according to like the IMDb star rating, what difference does it make? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been a while since I've done a show on acting. It's been a while since I've had an actor on the show. Um, and uh, it's one of the more important aspects of filmmaking. Uh, and so many of you listen to the show. You guys are uh, young filmmakers. You uh, young girls out there want to get into the, the business of making movies. You want to get these ideas that you've had in your head on the screen. Um, and you need talent for that. You need actors to come and give life to the chicken scratch that you've written down on a notepad. And as you get bigger and your projects get uh, more expensive, uh, there's a larger requirement that falls on casting and your actors. And, and uh, what sort of value uh, does an actor bring to a piece? Uh, because at the end of the day, if you go back and you're honest with yourself and you think about watching movies as a kid, uh, how often did you say, hey, I want to see the new Steven Spielberg movie? Or how often did you say, hey, I want to watch the new Tom Cruise movie? Or I want to watch the new Bruce Willis movie, right? Because at the end of the day, the, the actors are the face of these characters. The actors embody, physically embody, the emotions and the themes of your idea. Um, and uh, I'm always fascinated with uh, people that have the courage to do this job. I, I would say uh, a lot, and we talk about all aspects of creativity on this show, whether you are uh, want to be a director, you want to be a rock and roll guitar legend, if you want to be a chef, um, it takes a lot of, of balls. It takes a lot of courage to walk away from a life that may be structured by formulas, that may be structured by routine, by a series of steps that you can take. If you want to, you know, be a plumber, you can go and follow these specific rules to become an actual plumber. The arts business is weird because there, there isn't a necessarily a series of steps that lead you to this path to lead you to be an actor, right? So I'm fascinated with talent that I see on screen that I think are great, that I think uh, give performances that I remember. Um, and I'm always interested at how these actors sort of break through the herd, how these actors uh, sort of stand out ab above the waves, like, <laughs> like Slash in a Guns N' Roses video, sort of raise up above the waves and find their way to a role. And I'm also interested in the differences between being a leading actor, whether you're the leading woman in a film or if you're the supporting character actor in a film. And there's a lot of interesting stresses that are on both. And I find myself, maybe unfairly, just giving more credit to the supporting talent. Uh, just because I feel like those characters are the ones that stick with us the longest. Like, think about all your favorite movies growing up, right? Think about Predator and and uh, and uh, the Governor. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jesse, not Jesse James. Jesus, Michael, put your shit together. You know, the sexual tyrannosaurus flying in the helicopter. He sticks out to me, right? 
Think about all the supporting roles in Die Hard that stick out to you. Think about all the supporting roles in A Close Encounters that stick out to you. Uh, these actors and their performances somehow transcend what the lead is doing in these films and somehow stick with us even longer so that you're pushing, you know, 15, 20 years out. Um, and then suddenly you have like a Philip Seymour Hoffman who was just doing all uh, supporting roles and character pieces. And he is so beloved with all these characters and all these different uh, ways of projecting themes, projecting ideas, that he becomes a lead. Or like James Gadolfini, right? You know, before Sopranos, he fucking rocks it in True Romance. I love him in that movie. He was good in The Mexican. That was a great movie. Um, but he's played smaller supporting roles for years and years prior to that. So I'm always fascinated with where talent, how talent sort of breaks through, right? Because there are so many talented actors out there. There's a lot of them. And if you're lucky enough to run casting sessions, you'll meet them. Unknowns that come in that have the ability to just sort of breathe interest, like just like emit curiosity. Uh, that's usually what I look for. And that's what gives me my creative excitement is when I find someone that does that. And um, today's guest is one of those actors for me. Um, it's someone that I really wasn't paying attention to before I saw him in a Coen Brothers film. And I have to say, one of the most underrated Coen Brothers movies, a movie that I, you want to talk about getting lost on a Netflix queue, right? Uh, this is one of my favorite Coen Brothers films with some of the most memorable sequences in it. Um, and if there is a way to create visual poetry on the small screen, i.e. Netflix, um, they've done it. And uh, today's guest was in the ballad of uh, Buster Scruggs. Um, he has been in a bunch of television shows, uh, Lock and Key, uh, The Leftovers. Um, he is about to come out in the uh, new Ray Donovan movie, which is about to be released. Um, and for you nerds out there who love podcasts, uh, he was also in the Wolverine podcast, which was really fantastic, which I did not know until I did the show. Um, Bill Heck is on the show, and uh, I really love this dude. Um, not only do I like him because we just had a great conversation, and I feel like, you know, the two of us were just, you know, on a lunch break on a construction site going through our brown bags and talking about life, which fucking is so cool. Uh, it's a great episode for that. Um, but Bill has that thing. When you watch him on screen, you watch him just be quiet. And you just want to watch the dude. Um, and I dig that. And, you know, I would love to see him become a leading man. I would love to see him, you know, you know, uh, be, be taking on the next, you know, whatever, you know, Tarzan, Disney remake lead guy. But I really love him in these uh, supporting roles um, and I hope that uh, all the films that he continues to do have that same sort of texture um, I'd love to work with the guy I think he's really great 
So I'm excited. Today's episode is about acting. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about how Bill got into the industry. He's going to give you some of his insights that he's had as not only an actor and not only being on stage and um, doing uh, like Broadway stuff, but then television stuff, um, but also his time being a reader um, in rooms for casting sessions. And if you don't know what a reader is, it's essentially talent that is brought in to read lines to the actors that are their um, audition for the role. And uh, famously, you know, who was a reader was uh, Harrison Ford. And he, you know, famously was a reader for uh, the Star Wars stuff because he was literally a carpenter working on George Lucas's house. And uh, Lucas became friends with him, uh, had cast him in American Graffiti and was like, hey, I just need someone to read lines for these actors that we're trying to cast. And he ended up uh, getting Han Solo because of that. So um, it's interesting. And there's a lot to be learned uh, for you actors um, from Bill on how to sort of process auditions, how to mentally prepare yourself for them, and how to survive them. Uh, we get into all that on this show. Uh, it's a great fucking episode. I'm very excited about it. Big shout out to the PR folks that made this happen. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and uh, big shout out to Bill for saying yes and coming on the show today. So before we get into it, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who has been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and been following the podcast on Instagram. Uh, that's in love with the process, P-O-D on Instagram. Um, I've been trying to keep you guys entertained. I just did... I don't know when this episode comes out, but I just done a live session where for a lucky few that were tuning in, I walked them through my storyboard process on the new project. They got, uh, I don't want to say they got a sneak peek at anything because I would get in trouble, but they got to see me do some storyboards um, on the live thing. So keep your eye out. If you see me do a live session on Instagram, definitely jump on there. Um, I try to open it up when I have time and I will answer any questions. Some of the questions, it's so fascinating how there are just a handful of questions that everybody asks. Like, what is your favorite movie? Is that like your one-liner? Is that, I feel like I'm in a bar, you know, and you're just coming up to me, hitting on me. Hey, what's your favorite movie? We can talk about that. We can get even more in depth. Ask me questions about directing. Ask me questions about podcasting. Uh, anything you want, man. So be sure, keep your eye out. There's no real schedule to when I go on there, but if you catch me, come on and say hello. Um, but anyway, I'm ranting and raving. Let's get into the show. I'm excited to sit down with Bill, and uh, it's going to be a good one. So grab your noise-canceling headphones, strap them on, turn them up to 11. Find a nice, comfy place. Maybe grab, a, if you're an actor or a director, grab a pad and some pa paper or pen and paper or fucking mic. These kids do everything on their phone now. Open up your notes on your iPhone. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Anyway, Bill, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How you doing? I am all right. I had uh, we've we had the uh, COVID strain go through our place, and so oh, fun. Yeah, my <clears throat> I I I recovered from it a few weeks ago, but then my girlfriend I think is showing signs, so she was up most of the night, which meant that I was up most of the night. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, we can use this. I can just pick up a book and read for an hour. You can take a nap. <laughs> now, it just means that my voice sounds even more raspy and gross, which is nice. For the I show. thought you, you sounded particularly sexy. <laughs> That's my move. Anytime I have a guy on the show, we try to get, you know, voice sexiness. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you recovered. I hope she, she comes out all right. Yeah, we should sure be. We should be fine. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't too shabby. Um, well, dude, like I said, very excited to have you on the show. Um, I am a fan of your work. Um, I love, love, loved uh, your work in the Ballad of Buster uh, Scruggs. I like, I love that fucking movie. I think it's one of the most unappreciated <laughs> Coen Brothers films. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I also feel like it doesn't give the, get the love it deserves entirely. It's, you know, it's, it was a more challenging picture to watch, maybe so. Yeah, it took a little bit of an adjustment in the brain from what people typically expect, but you know, if you can get over that hump, I think it pays it pays back in kind and then some. Oh my god, dude, it's poetry. It's visual poetry, yeah. and uh, yeah. and it, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It's on Netflix now, um, but it's these great vignette. It's pretty much like a vignette story of a bunch of different small yeah. pieces, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, I think five separate stories, like an anthology, mm -hmm. uh, which which makes it easier for me to to sing its praises. It doesn't feel quite as self invested. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's incredible. There's like you know they have that's the all the different performers in it. It's an incredible lineup, and um, the stories are really different but thematically connected, and one builds on the other in unexpected ways. And, I mean, fucking Tom Waits is in it. What do oh you want? my god! And his all right. We'll get back to this, but his his bit, like <laughs> Jesus, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> unreal, unreal. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, I checked a lot of boxes doing that. Doing that. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. We'll get we'll get to that. I wanna I wanna sort of go to the beginning for you. Um, so I don't know. You probably haven't had time to listen to the show yet, but um, I'm afraid not. That's all, no big deal. So uh, the show is essentially. A lot of the folks that listen to the show, a lot of younger actors, a lot of uh, filmmakers, a lot of directors. Um, so I'd love to just sort of talk about, um, you know, for you, out of all of the creative outlets, why acting? Why did you start with acting? Why did acting pull you towards it? Oh, man. Um, yeah, the beginnings are perhaps less poetic than most. Right? <laughs> um, I, the short answer is my mom made me. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was, it was high school, and I was, you know, my my family was going through this sort of, and my parent folks are going through this kind of extended breakup, and mm -hmm. it's a rough time. I was a latchkey kid for a while, um, you know, still a loving home, but uh, uh, definitely a rough patch. And I was getting sad and withdrawn, and you know, had been a good student. My grades were falling, and I wasn't. I was clearly uh, an unhappy kid. Mm. And um, had come into public high school after being in a, a small uh, private junior high for a couple of years and I come back and didn't know where I was. And uh, my mom, 
you know, was just clocking something was wrong. So she insisted I involve myself in an extracurricular activity. Yeah. So um, I had played soccer all through eighth grade. So I was like, all right, I'll try, I'll try for the soccer team, for the high school soccer team. Um, and uh, it had been a couple years since I had played and my cleats from junior high no longer fit me. Um, <laughs> but we didn't, we didn't really have much money. So my mom was like, you know, if, if you make the team, we can, we can talk about getting some new cleats. So I, I wore my old, my old shoes to the first day of tryouts. And after, after that first day, uh, you know, packed myself back into the minivan, mm-hmm. took off my cleats and both of my large toenails fell out. Jesus, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was effectively hobbled for the remaining two days of trial. So <laughs> yeah, and permanently, That's, permanently yeah. like effective, like psychologically. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Scars on all levels. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so she was like, well, you still got to do, you know, an extracurricular. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll try out for the musical. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, it, it worked out. Uh, it was, um, uh, some of your listeners may know, the musical Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Very dark. <laughs> yes. Sondheim musical. And uh, I auditioned and got to play the villain. Oh, nice! And um, uh, <laughs> I just imagine—I uh, just imagine whoever's directing was like, "Wow, Bill! Like, where did you? It was so intense. Where did you pull this from?" You're like, "I lost my fucking toenails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in serious pain internally and externally." <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> um, and you know, it turned me around. I, I like found a community. I found a, a kind of sense of purpose and um, nice. my grade shot back up. I got real happy. And, you know, I, I, it's, it, my connection to, to that kind of work evolved from there. You know, it wasn't immediately about artistry or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it's come to mean different things to me over the years. But that mm-hmm. initial sense of, of uh, you know, an outlet and, um, and connection uh, hit me, you know, right away. It was, it was, it was maybe a few weeks into that, that I was like, you know, talking to the, the girl I was dating in the car. I was like, could I go to college for this? Is that a completely <laughs> absurd idea? Mm-hmm. And you know, my, 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 I have, I have a, an aunt and uncle who are professional actors in Indianapolis. Oh, weird. Um, okay. And, uh, like my mom and aunts did it in high school. So it wasn't like, uh, something that I was completely unexposed to at that point. I had just never seriously considered, you know, putting my own, throwing my own hat into the ring yeah. until my mother forced me. Nice. Wild. That's like, Thanks, mom. That's, that's a very romantic intro. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, all right. So then, uh, you know, fast forward, it, you stuck with stage for a while, right? Because you obviously started in uh, stage productions and Broadway stuff, correct? Is that where you got your in? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I went right to undergrad for it at a, at a place called the University of Evansville, right in the southern, right in southern Indiana there, right at the tip. That um, small uh, liberal arts school has a really incredible undergraduate theater training program huh. that, um, that uh, is, really, is particularly successful at getting their students into uh, good graduate programs huh. for acting. No kidding. Um, I, I got our whole, uh, the first semester of our senior year acting class was just putting together like 10 to 15 monologues to then go to Chicago the following spring and audition for just a shit ton of graduate schools. Oh. So uh, I went right from there to NYU. Uh, so I was in New York and um, 
uh, you know, there's a lot of, obviously you get exposed to a lot of theater there and a lot of connections you make coming through that program or in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, and that program particularly has uh, a connection to the public theater, um, downtown, which also does the Shakespeare in the park up in central parks is, uh, outdoor theater seats, I think 2,500 people. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best fucking theater job in the world. It's amazing. Wow. And, uh, so they, they like audition the graduating class from NYU. That's that little program. And, uh, those students, some of those students are chosen to be in the non-equity, the non-union ensemble. Mm. Um, so I was lucky enough to go right into that. And, uh, and uh, then did like an understudy on Broadway and started to get my feet uh, and my toes a little wet in the theater world there. Well, dude, it's, uh, it's crazy. So I, whenever I work with actors, cause I've been directing for years at this point, And whenever I work with talent, I have nothing but the utmost appreciation and uh, empathy for someone that decides to get in front of, you know, uh, <laughs> a salty crew of grips and electrics and like pour their, <laughs> the, like pour their heart out and pour their emotions out in front of the cold lens, like the cold camera lens. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like to do that on, on a stage live, you know, every night with it. And then also having the dealing with the response of your audience at least when you're doing movies you're kind of distant from your audience do you prefer a stage or do mm -hmm. you prefer being in front of the camera uh, honestly I, I part of the reason i started to be interested in the uh, endeavor writ large was because of the variety of experience it could potentially offer so you know i really i i don't mean to be evasive but i it's i really can't speak to a favorite um they're right. they're you know, obviously there's a lot of overlap, but there's some really distinct differences that uh, are very appealing to me uh, on all sides. You know, the, the, it's, uh, there's something easier about being on the stage, I think, with respect to, you know, having to, you know, as opposed to like in front of a bunch of sweaty grips and stuff. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. the, because the set, the setup, the setup on stage, like the, the fact that you're, pretending and imagining is really built in from the get-go like everyone in the true, room true, knows true. you're in a room with yeah. pretend furniture uh you know and the lights and you're sort of running your own you're sort of editing as you go and you're up the pay you know it's all this big mutual agreement that happens when you're in front of a camera it's everything is built to be as real as possible so it's you're sort of leaning into the 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 truth of the atmosphere in a way that's different and is more easily skewed by the fact that there's a lot of elements that don't belong there. <laughs> yes. Uh, like grips and, 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 and uh, the video village and, you know, the, the bounce boards and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's so it's, the... it's, I, I, I find it easier to kind of drop into imagination in, in the theater. Right. Um, that said, that's part of the reason I love being on camera because it's this additional extra challenge. It also feels a little more um, workmanlike, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. You know, that's I remember, I remember um, my 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 second theater gig out of school was uh, understudy for a, a Broadway show, a new Daniel uh, Donald Margulies play mm -hmm. called Brooklyn Boy, and they they. Uh, the understudies all had to like stay in the top remote dressing room together until whoever they were covering had finished their last scene. Mm. So uh, there was a collection of about uh, six or eight of us understudies 
uh, ranging in all ages. And um, so there were some, you know, I was in my early 20s. There were some people some in their middle age, uh, a couple guys a little older than that. And their, their main context for life was a, their family and, you know, the small uh, weekend home they had worked out upstate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys had had a, a really um, admirable career. Uh, you don't know their names. Yeah. Uh, uh and and I saw I started to it really hit me. I came to understand in a different way how the vast majority of people who are doing what we do are um, like giggers and work a day and you yeah. know essentially blue collar. It's you know it's a far in some ways it's a far it's a it's a far less shiny uh, polished endeavor. It's a lot more grunt work. And and uh, time spent and commitment and grinding in a way that I find very appealing and satisfying. You do. Um, you and me both. This is one of the things. Yeah. When I got into this world and I got into directing, I came from being in construction and being a mechanic and an airplane mechanic and all that kind of stuff. So that Ooh, that's great. Yeah, dude. That way of life, um, you know, which is the hanging out with. <laughs> These other guys that have bloody knuckles from like trying to get the bolts yeah. out from underneath stuff. And then at the end of the day, you go and have a bunch of beers and you decompress. And it, it, that blue collar vibe stayed with me when I went into filmmaking. And at that point, it was this weird blend of the artistry and all the art that I had learned for years and, you know, being an illustrator and, and, and trying to get the poetry on screen mixed mm-hmm. with. <laughs> my favorite dudes on set, which are like the rugged little, you know, the grunts yes. and the, the grips. And yes, I, 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 it's, it's just as romantic and I love both ends of it. And I think that the artists and the, and the quote unquote geniuses get a lot of the credit, but um, I can tell you right now that a lot of my films and a lot of my work is built uh, from the creativity that come from guys that are covered in mud from like pulling four out cable through the woods. At yeah, night. There's just no way it happens otherwise. Like yeah. that is absolutely where the veins and the heart and the, you know, the bones of it all exist. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of where the attention is placed is, is misplaced yeah. uh, in large part, not to take away from the, you know, all the other efforts that go into it. It's, it's a, you know, when it's working, it's a really beautiful marriage, but um, yeah, that's the side that, you know, I, I worked, uh, I worked, I was a carpenter for, it was my sort of survival gig. All yeah, years. yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that sort of building the building as you go is. Well, dude, funny enough, you can tell. Okay. So I can tell that you've done that just <laughs> by seeing you on screen and how you act on screen and how you're, the thing I really enjoy about your performances is that you really, you really do a great job with the quiet moments and the, Whenever I'm casting, whenever I'm watching something, I'm always looking for a person, uh, regardless of who they are, what their gender is, someone that is just fascinating to fucking look at when they're not speaking. And I think with film, that is the most important thing that I look for as a director, is someone that when they're just breathing in the space, um, you just want to sit down next to them and sort of breathe the same air, and maybe you'll learn something. And I get that from you. So, like, I, it, it makes sense that you've done something with your hands. It makes sense that you've probably had like a bag lunch and you've sat on a cooler somewhere <laughs> and like had to interact with folks. You know what I mean? 
uh, well, hey, listen, it's uh, it's really satisfying to hear you say that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, dude. It's I, I get it. It's cool. As, it's cool as hell, man. <laughs> right on. Right on. <laughs> Back at you, man. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> okay. So before we get into the film stuff, did you ever have? Because uh, I can't imagine. I've never done it before. I've never acted before. I've never done any of that stuff before. Did you? have to process stage fright did you ever have stage fright did you have to get over that or how did you deal with the with the willies quote unquote before you went up on stage um you know i guess i, I never had it in, in the way that i i felt um crippled by it mm -hmm. i guess I, you know, maybe it's that first experience you know leading up to that first one weekend of shows in the high school auditorium uh, preceded by, you know, the, the four, six weeks of new friends and camaraderie and, mm. and working my ass off. And, uh, you know, so then any nervousness that came with finally presenting it was uh, equally, if not uh, more heavily weighted on the side of, of excitement and belief in, in, the endeavor. Right. And, um, right, right. you know, I always, I always, I, I really, I get, I get, <laughs> I get bored easily unless I'm challenged. And, <laughs> and so I think, I think that's, you know, I, it, it doesn't, <clears throat> I don't think it, I, I, I'm sure most people would say this, so I don't know that this is some particularly unique revelation, but it never felt like it came supernaturally to me. Like I, you know, I, feel like I had some innate understanding of how it worked and like, you know, a little bit of a uh, tendency to, to get one thing or the other, but it, it's, it's always felt like something I've really had mm. to work for, to work at, you know, like I, I don't feel like I can just fall into it. Like some of the greats that we really appreciate. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of what has kept me going, I think. And part of what I think would, um, I would contribute to, to overcoming any nerves that might be involved with uh, putting your ass out there. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. Can, can I do it? Yeah. And that's cool, man. I, I'm always fascinated by it because it is, a, it can be a hurdle. And for a lot of folks, it is like a, a massive fucking hurdle to get over. Yeah. Um, and it's not exactly a natural thing to do. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, I definitely have, like, I have the very standard actors, nightmares, you know, anxiety dreams where I've forgotten my lines or I have no idea what show I'm in or, you know, all that sort of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, we, we have the same thing as directors. Like I'll have, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll have nightmares for about three nights before I'm on set. And then after I'm on set, I'll have like withdrawal nightmares. It's almost like someone <laughs> died. And so then you're afterwards, you're just like, why am I in mourning? <laughs> like what's happening? <laughs> it, it really fucks Absolutely. with you. It really does, man. Like, Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> okay. So then, so then you, you're on stage, you're sort of mastering, uh, working on mastering the art of uh, communicating a story and emotions to a live audience, which is crazy and cool. Um, and then you uh, decide to get into in front of the camera. Where'd you, where'd you start? Was it television that you started? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had always been fascinated by it and, you know, like anyone loved movies and stuff and uh, knew that it was something that I wanted to get into at some point. Mm -hmm. I, um, it, it all happened kind of by accident. I, you know, I was living in New York at the time and I had 
just been dumped by my fiance and uh, then like suddenly got into a whirlwind romance with this other girl I knew from like my brother's high school class (laughs) way back. It's a very convoluted story. Um, But I essentially, I, you know, essentially uh, needed to switch it all up. She lived out in LA. So I basically chased her out to LA Uh to get out of New York. Uh Um, And then went through some, you know, she dumped me pretty quickly after that. <laughs> and, uh, Jesus, dude. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. It was it was a rough patch, as they say. But, um, yeah. I, uh, you know, so I was kind of at sea there for a while. And then somebody had invited me uh, to a brown, you know, uh, grad programs have often have showcases where oh, yeah. uh, the, stu- the graduating class puts together scenes and monologues and invites a bunch of, bunch of agents and managers and uh, casting directors and stuff and puts on a little show, you know, walk you around the ring and look at your teeth. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, somebody had invited me to the Brown University showcase out in LA, which, um, you know, they're never like particularly exciting experiences. It's always a little gross. <laughs> like but, a um, dog and pony not show. Say, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was working on kind of saying yes in my life and getting my head out of my grieving ass. And, yeah. uh, and so I went and I ran into, um, this casting director, Bonnie Grissom, who I knew from a New York casting office that I used to be a reader at. Uh, I come in and read the scenes behind the camera with, uh, all the people coming into audition mm. and she had just moved out there and was working for another theater theater out there. She needed to cast a role in a play uh, at Center Theater Group in L.A., come back Little Sheba, and uh, had me come in. I got into that, and then through that, met a casting director who brought me in for The Closer, at, uh, yeah. that uh, TV show with Keir Sedgwick. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, I'd been hooked up with, like, a, a, man, a terrible manager at the time. It was, it's all convoluted. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I ended up getting, booking this, this two episode role on the closer and, um, it was a great part and I got really friendly with the whole bunch. Um, and, uh, the showrunner and creator James Duff and I became close and he helped me get, uh, a new agent out there. Nice. Um, nice. put me in touch with some other producers and stuff and just really helped me get the ball rolling. Um, and I uh, had a, you know, I was only in LA for, uh, for like two and a half years altogether. Had a pretty good run. Wow. All things considered as far as that goes. And uh, it's, you know, continued to kind of play. I, I, you know, I'm doing t- tonight as we record this, the Ray Donovan movie is coming out. Yes. Um, and I got that job because last season when I first show up as a young John Foy, a young Mickey Donovan, uh, that episode was directed by Kira Sedgwick oh. and written by one of the original writers and producers on The Closer. And they, who's an old friend of mine now, so they came back to me for that part. Nice. And here I am today premiering something from relationships that started over a decade ago. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, that's fucking so great. Kinda, Congrats. That's awesome, man. And <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know. Yeah. It's nice to hear that story because, uh, you know, I'm constantly talking to folks uh, that are like, you know, how long does it take to make it? How long does it do all this stuff? It really is relationships that get you in. It really is at the end of the day. Like, yeah. And, and the tricky thing is, you know, you can't, you can't force that, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of pressure put on, especially people starting out to like, 
you know, go to parties and shank a bunch of hands and that kind of shit. And, you know, maybe that works for some people. That is not my, how I, you know, I could not function. That yeah, way. me either, dude. Uh, either. I'm, I'm a little too, uh, too, you know, my introversion is, is closeted, but very present. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, it just was saying, saying yes to a lot of things, readings and going to stuff and, you know, doing little shows for no money. And, uh, uh, yeah, you really come up with people and, um, connect, yeah. you know, but it is imperfect. There's certainly no template for it. This is true. There's no template for it's anything big. we do in this business. No, you know? no, it's all a big crapshoot. All right, it's time to take a quick break. And uh, I want to talk to you guys about uh, some products, some of the stuff that uh, has been exciting me lately and some of the new relationships that we have with sponsors on the show. Um, and uh, as I've said before, uh, and as many of you have been writing to me and telling me that you appreciate these sponsors because uh, these are brands, companies, products that I feel like will change the way your stuff looks. And more often than not, you guys are writing to me going, hey, how did you like this thing? Or how do you do this? Um, and I've used a lot of these products to do so. So might as well spend a little bit of time and introduce you to them, right? Um, first up, let's talk about uh, the longtime sponsor of the show, Puget Systems. Uh, so many of us need computers to do our art, to create our work. Whether you're a filmmaker, you're an editor, if you're uh, an artist, concept artist, you're using Photoshop, uh, if you're a photographer and you're using Lightroom, or if you're into 3D modeling, if you're into the Unreal stuff, you need to have specific hardware built that works optimally with the software that you're gonna use. I love what Puget Systems does. Go to their website and check it out. You can choose a system based upon the software that you're using, which <laughs> mind blowing. And then, uh, believe it or not, not all hardware configurations work best with all the software out there. You can build yourself a generic machine, which will do a pretty good job straight through with everything, or you can get real fucking nerdy and really tweak that performance for that specific task that you're doing. I love that. I love the ability to work and talk to people who aren't just peddling off hardware on me, who aren't just selling me boxes. You know what I mean? Uh, the thing about Puget Systems, all their technicians spend countless hours keeping up with the software updates that happen. They change everything. So they try to understand the hardware configurations that work best with the ever-changing landscapes of software. They beta test, they benchmark test all of the hardware out there in the marketplace. So they'll put a new graphics card in and run it hard through After Effects or they'll run it hard through Premiere and they'll tell you if it's worth it. Is this worth the money? Is the prior uh, version of it uh, um, better for the software? It's crazy shit, man. Um, I love the dudes at Puget Systems. They're the sweetest guys. A bunch of, uh, it's a family owned company. Um, I've spent time with them uh, and uh, they, really love their clients. And the thing that's great about them is that when you go to the website, you can choose a baseline system, but then they want to interact with you. Don't know where to start? 
they can help. Get in touch with one of their technical consultants today, talk to an expert, and they'll walk you through the process of building a machine. It can be expensive to build an edit system. And it blows my mind how some of the other companies, when you buy one of those edit systems, they will spend the time upgrading their software to outdate that hardware within two or three years, right? So you're always under the gun with them. You're always still paying off an old system and then you have to get a new system. It doesn't feel like you can ever get in front of it. Build yourself a Puget system, a piece of hardware that can be updated, upgraded with great customer support. Head on over to PugetSystems.com and check out what I'm talking about, man. Uh, also supporting the show, Vitafair. Uh, if you are uh, creating your content, if you're making your short films, uh, and you don't want to just dump it on YouTube for free. If you've noticed, I haven't done that with 12cam or with Who's There. I just don't believe in throwing... Hold on. <laughs> Excuse me, shit. I don't believe in throwing this hard-earned, hard-built content out into the ocean. You know, like a fucking buoy floating along next to like unboxing videos and YouTube tutorials. You know, fuck that. I want the screening experience to be special, right? I want you to feel like it's it's important to watch this thing. It's important to take the time and shut everything off and watch this movie. And uh, for many of us, we need to monetize that. That makes it important. If the audience is going to pay for something, they expect a certain level of quality. If you're going to charge for something, I suggest you do a really good job making that film. But also, if you're going to do that, then where do you host it? Where do you put it? And there are all these different streaming services that will take a percentage of what you charge, that will uh, you know, charge you per click, all sorts of different stuff. What I love about Vitafair is that they don't do that. They just charge you to host it. So you put it up, you host it, you set your own price. They don't make more based upon your price. Um, it's a pretty cool spot, man. Head on over to vitafair.com check it all out uh they support creators content without subscriptions which i dig um and uh it's a pay-per-view service so you can set it up and make cash on your content which is nice let's you know change the narrative a little bit i know we're all used to getting shit for free all the time but there hits a point where it's like hey man i want to make the next thing so i gotta make you know raise a little bit of money here you know what i mean Head on over to vitafair.com and check it out. Um, okay, supporting the show. You've heard me rant and rave about these guys this year. Uh, Jambox, jambox.io. If you are in the middle of uh, doing post-production on a commercial, maybe you're putting together a film, you're uh, trying to make it sound as good as you can on the limited budget that you have, right? Because the reality of it is, is everybody thinks about sound and music last it's usually the smallest line item on your budget uh head on over to jambox they offer up the best uh i don't want to say royalty free but you can purchase the best stock music quote unquote um from these guys i've never heard it better anywhere else let's just put it that way if you head on over to jambox let's talk about their subscription plans you can sign up as an unlimited creator if you're someone that is just doing personal projects, YouTube con content, 
or if you're a fellow podcaster, I know that there's a lot of other podcasters that listen to this show and you guys want to get your music up to our level, head on over, sign up $9.99 a month, which is billed at $119 annually, which is nothing. Come on, nothing. Uh, you get um, full access to all music, unlimited downloads, YouTube, social creators, personal student projects, web streaming. Uh, it's a great plan for someone that is just creating content that you need licensed music for and good licensed music, stuff that actually stirs emotions out of people. Uh, there is a 30 day free trial. Head on over to Jambox and check that out. If you're someone that is doing commercials, sign up for their unlimited commercial plan. That's $19.99 a month. There is a seven day free trial for that. Um, if you're a student, six bucks a month gets you access to music, sound effects, all the stuff that the commercial thing does, as long as you're using it for student projects, film festivals, web streaming. And if you're someone that is just looking for a specific track and you don't want to do a subscription, you can get a quote just for each individual song. Super simple, super fucking high quality, man. Like uh, I've had the owner on the show listen to that episode if you haven't already. Uh, and we talk about how he's curated the talent that uh, gives music to this website. And the process that they do is fucking fascinating. It isn't just like, hey, do you got a bin of old music somewhere? How'd you like to make money on that old music? It's, hey, we'd like to work with you to create an album for Jambox. It's cool shit, man. Really is. I was just in the process of uh, sweetening up an edit for Gina's new project, which I don't think we're allowed to talk about yet. Maybe we are by the time this episode comes out. Um, but uh, I started to tool around in their sound effects library. And let me tell you, it really changed the project. I really started, I started to download all these different sound effects, started to put in like emotional swells, emotional cue hits, little static changes, and it fucking really, really changed it, man. There was a moment where I was cutting in these sound effects and I, I hadn't even planned on doing it. I was just going through their library and I'm like, oh, this would be cool. And I started to drag things in and I went, okay, now I got to do a full fucking sound design. So I dug in, I dug in deep and there's one or two moments that had me laughing, my evil laugh, where I'm like, <laughs> and I showed it to Gina and she goes, this is really good. Why is this good? I go, because I put the sound effects in. Head on over to Jambox, browse through their stuff. It's going to influence the way you make films. It's going to change the way your podcasts sound. It is going to make your work better. It's one of the, uh, one of the sponsors on the show that will immediately change the quality of your work right now. Go on over, sign up for free trials. Look around. You guys are going to dig it. I promise. Um, all right. So let's see. We did Vitafair. We did Puget. We did those guys. Oh, right. My last friends over at ETC. ETC Connect. Head on over to etcconnect.com backslash love of the process and check out some amazing light units. Uh, these are uh, specific lights made by ETC um, that use LED technology, um, and uh, I use their Source 4s, their spotlights. I fucking love those lights. I also have an FOS4 Fresnel, which I love. It's super cool. It's like having like an 1800 HMI, but it's a uh, LED Fresnel uh, with the same sort of output, and oh my God, I love it so much. Um, Head on over there. Let me do a quick read from these guys. A lot of us in the film industry have used the iconic Source 4 profiles on set. I love those lights. 
ETC, the maker of the SourceFar, has been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fixtures specifically for use with cameras. Uh, I myself just got my hands on that for now, which I talked to you guys about. Uh, and the most eye-catching aspects of this line of fixtures is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open uh, open more culling, color mixing options than you'd get with your traditional four-color studio fixture, but also lead to richer, uh, more natural beams of light in any color point that you use. On the back of the fixture, you can actually dial in these different colors. You can dial in the amount of uh, greens. You can dial back the amount of reds. It's really cool. It's truly surprising to see how much impact Deep Red makes on any situation on set. If you're not familiar with ETC and all their fixtures, they're backed by 24-7 customer support. Uh, see the FOS4 panel and Fresnel. They have a panel, which I have to check out. Uh, go check it out yourself by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process. So that's etcconnect.com backslash love the process. Woof. There you go, guys. Thanks for sitting through these. Really appreciate it. If you want to learn more from it, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There is a sponsor section there, um, but also make sure that you're checking out the supplemental material for today's episode there. I'll put up some trailers, some scenes, some bills up on the website uh, that goes with today's episode. All right, let's get back into it. Um, so you were a reader for a while. That's fascinating. So you must've learned some interesting shit, like being in that, uh, casting rooms and, and, uh, being on the other end of the camera on the other side. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, it was really useful. It was, I would highly recommend it to anyone starting out. Um, you really get, you know, a lot of my first year and a half out of, out of grad school was, uh, learning about what that meant to walk into an audition room you know it's a whole mm -hmm. different beast mm -hmm. it's not really acting you could argue uh it's a kind of oddly presentational but it's still got to be authentic and it's you know it's so the mechanics of it are, are an oddly subtle endeavor um and uh sitting behind the camera watching people um fuck it up a lot yeah. watching what worked you know was extremely useful and uh you know and i got to uh, do a bunch of scenes with some people that, and that was fun. You know, you find out great stuff. You get to work with these, these amazing people. You get some, you make some, build those relationships you're talking about. Yeah. You also find out like some of the gnarlier shit that goes on. Yeah. You know, I remember, <laughs> I remember being a reader um, and this gentleman came in uh, who uh, is a fucking amazing actor. Like I was so excited. I won't use his name, but I was so excited. He came in. Yeah. Um, and he was a star of New York stage. Uh, I'd seen him do some stuff and was just in awe of this guy. He's incredible. Um, and, uh, now he's someone you'd recognize, you know, he's one of those guys that you'd be like, Oh, that guy, he's in fucking everything. Yeah. yeah. But, um, at the time he came in and just completely nailed this audition. It was beautiful. And, uh, on the lunch break, I, I brought up with the casting director. I was like, yeah, this is like that guy, man. He just he hits all my buttons. And she was like, I know he's one of the best mm -hmm. and often producers will take his audition tapes and show it to the more famous people that they cast instead. 
and just say like, try it like this. It's just made my skin crawl. I could not believe it. Um, I don't know how often that happens. Uh, Dude, it's uh, it's creepy. Like the the casting, it's interesting because I see it from that side all the time, which is, you know, whenever I run a casting session, for, I, I feel incredibly, it's my job to be empathetic, but I feel very empathetic to the poor sons of bitches that, that are just lining up. And, and any of my friends that are actors, I continuously tell them, like, just change your perspective. And if you can ever, mm. like a lot, some of my friends, I'll say, hey, come into my casting session so you can see what it's like from the other end of the table. Um, That's great. And if you change your mindset, which is like, this isn't going to change your fucking life. This role isn't going to yeah. like, this role isn't going to break you. Just go in there and have an opportunity to perform to this small group of people. That's it. And if you just yeah. process yeah. it that way, then you'll you'll be a lot more healthy coming out of the back end of this. Yes, day. yes. It's absolutely all you can do. It's completely out of, you know, it's completely out of your hands from all sides, basically. You know, I started tossing my sides into the garbage every time I'd leave an audition room just to remember that. Yeah, it was over. That's smart. That's um, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, oh man, there was this one time. Oh god, I was audition. I was reading. Oh, this is awful. Okay, I was reading. Um, uh, uh, being a reader for a, a regional theater production, mm-hmm. uh, a, a good, a, you know, very respected, uh, high quality regional theater. Uh, but you know, still, we're not talking. Uh, Shining Lights of Broadway. We're not talking feature film Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there were some, it was, we were auditioning uh, these women and all these amazing, amazing women came in. And at the lunch break, uh, the director and the, the artistic director of the theater, the director of the show mm-hmm. and the casting director were looking through headshots mm. of celebrities they could offer it to and deciding which they should offer it to first based on their IMDb star reader rating. Yeah. Dude. Dude, it's the, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's worth, it's actually worth saying because it just really speaks to how it's not about you when you go into those rooms, if you go into those rooms, you know, it's not, it's not that you want, if you don't get the job, it's not because you fucked up or failed or wouldn't enough this or enough that it's, it's so arbitrary and there's no guessing at it. Uh, it's completely out of your hands. You know, the, the more you can realize that it's, it's, it's up to the gods. Uh, and some of the gods are dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the freer you'll be about it. Dude, it's, it's cr- like, even on this end, it's crazy. I'm in right now. I have two features in, in, uh, development and I've got one with Ridley Scott's company. And I've got another one with another company that I can't talk about yet, but great, man. thanks dude. Fantastic. Congrats. But there are moments where they come to, like the producers come to me as a director and they go, okay, who would you like for your, ca- your cast list? And I remember when I, f- mm. cause this is new to me, I'm an independent guy. So this right. is all new, new, new shit. And so the first time I was like, oh fuck, this is my moment. You know what I mean? You have like that bit as a director <laughs> yeah, right. where you're like, I've, I've watched an ass load of fucking movies. I, I have my list of my favorite actors and people that I think are really strong. And so then I start, you know, putting together my list. <laughs> and I send, I send my list of really good actors and very talented people, people that I would just be honored to have coffee with. You know what I mean? It's like right. that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And I send the yeah. list and, 
It's just like, <laughs> man, this guy's got no value. This guy's got no value. I'm like, how the fuck does this guy have no Oof. value? This guy has been destroyed. No value, no value, no value. Yeah. And so then you sit there and you go, uh, what, wh- where is this value meter? Where is yeah. it? And where can I find yeah. it? Cause then at least I can go through that list of what is valuable. <laughs> Do a little bit of cross-referencing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. it's so in the ethos and it's like, there's a bit of this, you can't even rely on the star meter on it on IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're just processing. And I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who, and I'm not going to out them, but, um, I was like, how the fuck does this shit work? How does this star meter work? What is all this? And they go, it's all down to the weirdest things. It could just be that this one person uh, went on like, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or or the, the Tonight Show and did a sequence on the show where they were like eating bugs and that got an ass load of fucking hits on YouTube and suddenly they're high on the star meter. <laughs> And you're like, it's got nothing to do with their fucking acting skills. And they go, yeah, it's got nothing to do with that, man. And so you're just like, oh, man. Um, It's weird. I mean, listen, you know, I I, I acknowledge that there is a commercial to to make a movie. You know, you you need – you need some focus on the commercial, as you know. I'm yes. not telling you anything you don't know, but yeah. So I, I if I've, um, you know, I've reconciled myself to that uh, over the years. Surely, it's it's imperfect, and uh, it, you know, it makes things maybe not quite as interesting as they could be. But uh, maybe more <laughs> things get made. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's just brutalizing, dude. I, I'm convinced it's all. Honestly, I, I'm convinced that the talent is in the supporting roles. It always is. It, it, like, mm-hmm. Because at that point as a filmmaker, you you sort of run through the top tier, right? So you're like, uh, who can I put in the lead? <laughs> and the response is like, whoever gets us the fucking money. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, all right, well, that's that. Uh, so then, and then they're like, well, well, as we get into the support, we don't care about the supporting roles. So fill the supporting roles out. You know, there's some demos that you should hit and that kind of thing. And right. then sort of fill it. Right. And so it's in there that I feel like you're really starting to see, especially if you're a young director like I am, you're you're really mm-hmm. starting to see the choices that are based on talent, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, sure. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, it's weird, man. And then how do, so have you always wanted to be a leading man or like what's what's your aspiration as far as your career is concerned? Um, I mean... And I've always uh, cringed at that term a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, I think for a few reasons. I, I, I uh, you know, I'm, I'm from like, uh, you know, I was born in Phoenix and was 10, moved to the, to outside Chicago from the Midwest. My folks are from the Midwest. There's definitely a kind of, uh, you know, Midwestern built in uh, suspicion of attention and um <laughs> and you know like being the leading man he feels oh it just feels a little too uh too self-centered and uh you know it's ridiculous sure um sure uh, so but also you know also no i've fallen into you know especially during like my early days when i was you know sort of ingenue age and and coming into my thirties and all that, I was never like, um, I was never like, I'm, <laughs> this is sort of weird to say, but it's stuff you got to be aware about, aware of when you're like, I was, I was a decent looking guy, mm-hmm. but I was never, uh, I was never, you know, 
hottie. I was never like the, I was not attractive enough to, to immediately fulfill that role. And, uh, and I kind of felt that ceiling a bit. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, maybe quietly resented it a little bit, but also, um, it has helped me really appreciate what I always really want to do in the first place, which is, uh, I'm just more, God, we get into this territory. I start to feel like I sound all <laughs> pollutant and shit, but, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, I, 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 I wonder, I've always felt a little snobby about like, uh, the term leading sure. actor versus character actor. Like, uh, uh it's just should all be character acting. It's that's what acting is. That's what you're doing. You know, I, it's uh, a lot more interesting. You know, started that first fucking job uh, in high school. Sweeney Todd, I was playing like an 80 year old judge, you know, <laughs> sexual predator. Like, and I just got to be all fucked up and gnarly and it was fun as hell. And I think, you know, that maybe it's still, still something early on where that was always, you know, even through all my school years, I always played like the older guys and uh, I feel most engaged when I'm able to, uh, to, to see what it's like to challenge myself to put something on, you know, sure, to, to sure. step, to, to see how far outside of myself I can step while remaining authentic and tethered to, to myself in that way, you know? Yeah. It's weird, man. It's, a, it's a weird, and I get why you would feel awkward talking about that sort of thing because the, it really, dude. It really comes down to the 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 colliding of art and commerce. Really, you know, it's art and business. And right. with leads, I always feel, I almost feel bad for a lot of the leads, especially the people that have been leads in the stuff that I've done. Where I'm like, you have to fucking carry this thing, and it isn't necessarily your talent that's carrying this thing. Oftentimes, it is your your looks or your reputation. Or like these days, like what your social commentary is. Like there are all these external factors that are getting people to tune into this. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't like, hey, I want to go see, you know, the new John McTiernan movie. I was like, I want to go see the new Bruce Willis fucking movie. Right, of course. You, you know, it's <laughs> right. so like right. that, that stress Oftentimes, like I see with a lot of leads, it stints their performances because they have to mm. play it so accessible. You know what I mean? Which, right, right. which uh, I always get a kick out of like the day players or the people that come in to support and they can just come in and steal the fucking scene. <laughs> they just sort of walk in the scene and it's just like they, they come in, yeah. they take it. And they're like, okay, that was two days of work. See you later. <laughs> yeah. We just have a little fun. Take yeah. Off. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, like it's great. The, I, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, the older I get sort of the more, you know, as I, uh, uh, approach and or enter middle age and, you know, the, the, the leading roles that I would be appropriate for me are, have certainly be, are becoming more interesting. Yeah. You know, are a little more fleshed out, have a little more going on or, or not just taking off a box. So, um, yeah, but, but know, also that's I, definitely one of the perks of, yeah, I, w- I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you, but also I want to interrupt no. and, and go like, when you said that you were having trouble because you weren't, a, you're not, not an attractive dude. <laughs> so you're a guy that looks good on camera, looks good on screen. It's just incredibly specific sometimes what that, what that, uh, attractiveness or what that perceived value in attractiveness is, right. which is strange, right, right. you know? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and the truth for this, it's just a, it's a lot more fun to like get fucked up. Yeah, you know, to 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 mess yourself up a little bit, get good and dirty, and yeah, uh, you know, it's just more fun. I love that shit, man. I love it when, especially if you. I think that's why I really have a huge respect for for dudes that are in those supporting character roles because. Uh, you know, look at like Philip Seymour Hoffman, look at all these guys that like Man, yeah. you look at them on screen and go, who the fuck is this guy? I've seen this guy like a hundred times. What is he doing? Oh, weird. He's completely <laughs> right. different. And I think that's the fun stuff, you know? And yeah. yeah, you know, like 20 years after those are the roles or those are the parts of the bit moments in the scenes that the audiences love where it's just like, Absolutely. I forget the old guy's name that was in gremlins that drove the tractor in the house. He's fucking amazing actor. And like, he's, he's the first guy I think of when I think of that, I don't think of the lead, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's weird, man. I love that. It's cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. It really is. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, we were, we're doing good here. How you doing on time? We're all right. Right. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Looking through your credit list, I never, I didn't realize that you did it, and um, I really loved the Wolverine podcast series that uh, came out oh, years right ago. Yeah, man, it like, yeah. it was a surprise to me. Someone had said that. I mean, this was kind of at like the the point where studios and production companies were like suddenly interested in doing narrative podcast stuff, and someone had said, "Hey, there's this." you know, Wolverine podcast, and I kind of rolled my eyes. I mean, I'm a comic book fan, but I kind of rolled my eyes and went, okay, so they're just going to be a bunch of, like, you know, claw noises, and he's going to be grunting and groaning, you know? Uh, so, so I was very fucking surprised at how dramatic that was, and you got to play a fucking iconic character, a, a character that really hasn't been on screen to the best yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, he's been like in this weird uh, purgatory where they've been trying, you know, there's all kinds of attempts at throwing this guy into the, you know, to the main ring and it just hasn't panned out. But uh, no, he's a he's a fun character. Yeah, um, dude. You know, that was even that was that was a conversation. And when we're in terms of speaking of character work and stuff, you know, as written in most of the comic books, he's got he's full on Cajun, you know. Yep. And uh so we, we were spoke, I was talking to the creative team about, you know, do we want to go into the full on Cajun accent? And ultimately they landed on a more general Southern, you know, more accessible thing, which maybe makes sense for a purely audio form sure, sure. of it. Uh, I was a little disappointed. In that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, that gig was, that gig was a lot of fun and they, they were really, um, uh, innovative with it. They had, you know, a lot of times these, uh, these sorts of things, you're, people are in separate booths. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're not even there on the same day as the, the other people in the seniors, senior doing, they had a couple little recording rooms and brought, um, brought all the actors in for any given scene and like had some 3d mics set up oh, and smart. some labs set up. And, uh, we would like, do the scene in the recording studio. You know, there was like a scene uh, where Gambit and Wolverine are paddling through a swamp mm -hmm. and we're sitting on like a folding table and like rowing along, you know, pretending to row through the swamp as we're doing the scene. There's a card game, getting up and playing cards and taking drinks and there's ice. So they're catching a lot of the audio, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, what would usually be added later um, in performance. So it, 
we got to really dig in in a way I think you're not usually able to on those circumstances. And uh, I, I suspect it made a huge difference. You know? Dude, totally. You could tell. You could totally tell. And I had always yeah. suspected that that's what you guys were doing on that. And uh, we had pitched a series too, and that was one of my pitches too, where I'm like, can we just perform? Like, th- Because yeah, there's a right. huge difference between the booth audio acting, which I guess they do really well if you're doing like a Pixar movie, but even then, right. it's still like, I'm performing, you know? And you're just like, okay, yeah, right. right. You're in a booth somewhere. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that seems cool. so easy to do the alternative and just way more fun and, and efficient, frankly, but yeah. What are you going to do? Well, it's all- I guess if you're trying to get Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in the same room at the same time, that's... Uh, yeah, well, you know, you know. These these days, they're, they're still in their pajamas at home in front of a microphone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it sounds like it was almost like motion capture stuff, because that's what a lot of mocap stuff is these days, which is, you know, running around with dots all over you and then performing with uh, right. foam swords. You, you know? know, it's not totally different, because, the, you know, part of what they were able to do with... Uh, the, the technology they had it set up, I don't know entirely the ins and outs of it, but they could really uh, locate sounds from one place to another. So mm-hmm. if you have like a good set of cans to throw on your ears, you, you, they're capturing a true, truly surround sound experience with a really specific uh, located audio, mm-hmm. which is pretty, pretty fun. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that binaural audio shit, which is fascinating. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Super cool stuff, man. Uh, for sure. Um, so, as, you know, as we sort of push through this, and by the way, this has been a great conversation, dude. I really dig talking to you. You're fun. Likewise. Likewise. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So as we're looking into the future, so you have the the Ray Donovan movie coming out, which I'm sure is going to be very successful. Um, what's, uh, what are your, what are your goals? Like, what are you pushing for right now? Are you, are you, uh, hounding your agents to send you a specific type of script or what are you, what are you looking for? Uh, no, um, <laughs> maybe I should be, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's something I'm thinking about writing. Uh, it's, you know, it's been a weird, uh, to be really honest, it's been just a really weird uh, stasis for the last bit, you know, with Omicron. And yeah. I got, I got two, two young boys and figuring out what school and the holidays yeah. and all that shit is meant. And we, you know, we moved a few months ago. It's been, it's been a little wacky, you know, I, and I have had the, the, I've had, I've been bizarrely fortunate through the whole pandemic. I've been almost as busy as I've ever been in my career wow. thus far, uh, which is uh, insane and unfair, um, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so I was working pretty steadily, you know, until like the end of the summer. And now it's just been fostering these things that are, are coming out. Uh, I got, I go back, excuse me, the, <laughs> just in, let's see, February of 2020, just before all this insanity started, I had just begun work on a show called The Old Man with Jeff Bridges. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, we were supposed to go to um, to Morocco for four months and finish shooting. We were doing like four months in LA, four months in Morocco. And obviously that all got futzed around. Yeah. We came back to uh, shoot outside of LA for Morocco that following fall. Uh, Jeff got uh, you may have heard he got a lymphoma diagnosis after a week of shooting. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so they like his stuff. When I was two different timelines, I play uh, his character at an earlier time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we finished all my timeline stuff, 
and uh, then he uh, he caught COVID in the midst of his uh, his treatment for the lymphoma. So this whole last year has just been, you know, we were supposed to start up again in the summer, and then it got pushed to this fall. And now it's going to look like it's going to come back in February, where he's fully recovered. And so I got a couple more days on that. Had to come out in the summer. That's sort of the the thing, uh, the next small thing I'm looking toward. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That should be a really incredible show. Actually, that materials. Oh man, it's out of sight. It's so good. Um, when you're reading, so when you're reading, when you're reading material, what do you respond to? Like, what is what is the thing that really sort of turns you on when you're looking at a script? Uh, you know, I, I maybe coming from the theater, like the a real grasp of language feels really pops to me, and maybe that sounds obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's. As, as I'm sure you know, you know the screenplay is more of a blueprint for a movie. You know, and yeah. in the theater, the text is God. Uh, <laughs> so, but when I read a screenplay, that's that's really um, interested in the language, and you know, the person clearly has a, a very gifted sense of putting words together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really satisfying, and it helps me see what it could be a lot more. You know, there are definitely screenplays out there that are put together by people who are giving themselves a, a guide to what they have, imagining visually, and that's where the real guts of it live, mm-hmm. uh, which I totally get. But it's um, it's really, it's so satisfying to come across a piece of writing where the writing, where real care was gone into the writing. And it's also the heartbreaking part because there is such a huge leap of creation that happens between page and product mm-hmm. in, on camera stuff. You know, it's a smaller, a smaller alley between those two in the theater. But I, I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many really incredible scripts I've read in film and television, uh, you know, having audition for them or whatever and not getting the job and then seeing what comes out of it and mm-hmm. just being baffled and heartbroken <laughs> and just, you know, see how they just shat all over this really beautiful piece that somebody had spent a lot of time putting together. And alternatively, you know, you can turn you can turn a, a a shit script into a beautiful movie if you got the right people doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. I was talking to I, I've been working for years with a screenplay writer who I love, and uh, he's written my two features. And um, I watched him. He's very good at what he does. This dude Will Simmons, and he's um, he, I watched his his journey. <laughs> <laughs> which is, yeah. you know, when you first, as, as a screenplay writer, it seems like when you first get started, you're like, I'm, I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to tell the best story I possibly can. I'm going to create these worlds in my head and how these characters intertwine and all these like subtext and plots and themes, all that stuff I'm going to work out and it's going to be amazing. And and then you hand, <laughs> you hand that script to a producer, you hand that script to somebody and they just read it quickly and then they go, here are my notes. There's never a moment of pause where it's like, first, I don't know how you did it, but the miracle of you bringing all these fucking things together, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. It, and then you make it worse for this person by sending them some uh. rando fucking notes, right? So then they have to go back and they have to rework these things. And and so I saw my friend do it and he got really good at, and he explained it to me. He goes, look, it's my job to, to conceive these things initially. It's my job to figure these things out. And I have to, I have to create a movie in my head that works. And that's what I do. And that's the, the hardest step. And that's the first stage. Then I just right. write something that you can read quickly. 
<laughs> so then he, he, he goes through the process of crafting a screenplay, which is fun to read. Um, yeah. and, and then that helps a get people inspired, gets the director, the producers, the money people all inspired in that piece. And then when it gets handed to me, I literally go through and cross out all the scene descriptions. So like all that work that is in there then just gets immediately crossed out and then reprocessed. So it is the most thankless fucking job. (laughs) It's brutal, man. It is, man. It's intense. (laughs) But, but then, and you know, you get all these people there. One of my, uh, one of the things that really I found comforting when I went out to LA and started working in in film and television, you know, it had been this, this sort of other world to me. And I, uh, you, you hear about all the, the the nastiness that goes on in that town, and, yeah. Um, yeah. The reputation it has for superficiality and et cetera, et cetera. And by and large, the majority of the people I ran into and worked with there, you know, just like any of us who who love to make a thing, who love want it to be good, uh, who care about what they do, and and understand that it's a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so there's a lot of people that really serve that, but there is definitely also that that sector of that town mm. that has to feel important. Mm. And so they spend their time trying to insert themselves into other people's work. And that's why they'll come back right away with just a bunch of notes. And it's really, it's, it's daunting. It is a huge obstacle. And they're usually the ones with the money. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, you want to talk about gatekeepers. The, there, there is a level of mm. that, which is so wild and interesting. And, and the one thing that I just was recently talking to somebody about the other day, um, which is when you're younger, and even though I've been directing like commercials and music videos and, and films for 20 years, I'm still considered a newbie, you know what I mean, when it right. comes to ventures. Right. And so you get, you get into rooms with folks like this. And they're not all sinister. It's just the process no, that they no, have. No, I don't think so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. And you get in the room with these folks, and they start to hit you with some left field ideas. And as a younger person, you're sort of sitting there going, "Okay, so this 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 person that I'm talking to has released movies to how many millions of people? Uh, how many millions yeah. of people have seen their films and seen their stuff? They must know more than I do, and I should learn right. from this." And so what you end up doing is you end up putting some of your gut instincts on the back burner because it's like, well, what the fuck do I know? I mean, this guy has been doing this for so long. And there was an interview. Oh, my God. I can't believe I can't remember his name. The director of uh, Boogie Nights, uh, P.T. Anderson. Uh, Paul Thomas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he had an interview recently where... Uh, which I really enjoyed, where he was saying that uh, if he could go back in time, he would he would tell the younger version of himself that he's not wrong, essentially. And I'm paraphrasing <laughs> this, but that he's not right. wrong and that people are going to hand you notes and their notes may just be different, but you're the one that knows mm-hmm. the story and mm-hmm. you know be aware of what people are saying and how they're responding to your work, but know that your gut instincts are usually right. Um, yeah, yeah, that is, it is tough to keep a hold on to that, especially I think in film and television. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of input and it's great to have input. It's great to collaborate, mm-hmm. but it is a, it is a serious, uh, um, maturation factor 
how you allow yourself to exist within all that context. It's, it's tricky. Man. It's weird, man. It's a huge difference between, cause uh, I'm originally from Boston. I just moved out here to Los Angeles. Like what was it? Five months before fucking lockdown. So, Oh man. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh, back at home when it was just me financing, me putting everything together, me directing, me producing all that kind of stuff. We could rock things out super fucking fast. And, right. you know, in the, you have sort of a faith in the discovery process more because you're like, I think this is kind mm. of the fucking idea. But once, once we get working on it, we'll figure it out. And, and that process ends right. up delivering something that's really beautiful and unexpected and surprising to me, which is great because then I don't get fucking bored, you know, putting the thing together. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And I find that that process is incredibly difficult here especially mm. going through these different steps and these different chains and like, mm. you know, what is the mythology and where does this thing come from? And you're like, does it fucking matter, dude? <laughs> you know, it's just like, can we, are you trying to make a movie or a companion? Yeah, text? Can we Let's just, do it. like yeah. this, this conversation is strictly so that we're at the film festival. You could talk about the mythology of this fucking thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, you're just you're working on your talking points, not our film. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah. So yeah, it's wild, man. It's oh, it's, it's a whole new learning learning curve when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And I, look, I I have I feel like I have to say this. I'm not trash talking any of it. It's just a no, whole no. different. It's a whole different yeah. game. It really is. Yeah, and it's it's often you know the intentions are usually all pure and 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 all that, but it's a lot of you know there there I have a there's a professor of mine from grad school, Jim Calder, who's a, a sort of movement-based performative genius. And uh, uh, he would say, just remember that collaboration does not equal cooperation necessarily. <laughs> so, and his point was like, you know, you sometimes you get together and, and you, you know, get a group together, you try and make something and it's a big love fest and, and everyone's just getting on beautifully. And, uh, and what comes out is oh, kind of boring. <laughs> and, um, you start talking about that. Oh, it's kind of boring. Oh, it's and then, uh, some, but if you get a little gnarly, like if people are really kind of digging in and, you know, there's a little bit of conflict, you know, there's definitely ways to navigate that. Sure. That are sure. Constructive, obviously. Sure. Um, but, but that can be where some of the magic happens where you can get surprised like you talk about. So, uh, you know, there is something about ha having, you know, obstacles being built into the process that yes. ideally, you know, help it flourish in a way. Yeah, I, I need that. I oftentimes what I like to do, especially because a lot of the stuff I do is like horror related, and, and oftentimes you're creating creatures from scratch, and it's like, what is the mythology? This all that kind of bullshit. And what I like to do is put my my own fence around it because I need to have borders for stuff, and and oftentimes that fence could be yeah. a set of rules that I'd give myself, but also it comes down to who I'm working with and who. I cast to be on my crew that I know are going to give me those yeah. borders and that fence to bounce around inside. Cause otherwise you're in a fucking vacuum and you're just like, yeah, yeah. you know, where's, where's yeah, the sun, you know, like how the fuck did you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. Did you see that documentary? The, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're on a good tangent. What you said? There's a documentary uh, from God, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago now called the five obstructions. No. Uh, I think, wait, let me, let me just look it up. I want to make sure I got that right. I think that's right. The five um, obstructions. We're both typing on the computer right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I have that right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Lars Van Trier. Oh, okay. Um, he, uh, 
there's like this, uh, this, um, I think a French filmmaker who made this movie in like the sixties, like a short film mm-hmm. in the sixties that, uh, that, you know, is, is like, is taught in every, every film program, this really seminal short film. Um, uh, what's his name? His name is like Lars- Jorgen Leith. Is that it? Okay. I'm not going to be able to pronounce That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That sounds right. Okay. Oh, here, let me look. Right. The perfect human is the name of short film. Yes. So Lars Van Trier, uh, he, uh, he comes up, he, he goes to this, this filmmaker who's made this beautiful film in the sixties. And, and, uh, he has him remake that short film five different times with five separate sets of rules huh. and, uh, obstructions. And, um, huh. the, the documentary is about him making his remaking his short five times over with these wildly different guidelines. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't think you ever see each reiteration in its entirety, but you get to see a lot of what happens and it's basically about the creative process. And each one of them is wildly different and incredibly beautiful. Mm. And it's all about how those obstructions, those obstacles are what make the creativity, uh, blossom yeah you know you sort of think like well let's just go crazy let's let it be anything you know the sky's the limit there's you know no no obstacles here and and you're as you said it's a vacuum you're at sea and it's really beautiful uh microcosm of how we need those things yeah. that's where you know if we don't have something to push against then we got we're building no muscles um, dude that's super cool oh, i have to watch this it's worth it's definitely worth a look yeah um I did something when I was younger as a director, I did like a 48 hour film project, which is kind of like that where they would, the morning of, they would pull like fucking props out of a hat and they would pull themes out of a hat. And you had this list of stuff that you had no prep on and you had to shoot something in 48 hours and have the whole thing. Oh, that's great. Which is fun. It's like, it it definitely does strengthen those, those creative muscles. And then I think that's the beauty. I just did an episode of the show with the uh, production designer for um, Ford versus Ferrari. He just did the new Ghostbusters movie. And him and I got really romantic about it, where where it's in in those real stressful moments, if you have the right people around you, if you have the right team around you that knows how to respond to these borders, to these obstacles that we have, oftentimes we create or more than not it are placed in front of us, whether it's budget or time constraints mm-hmm. or everything else. Right, right. And in that period of time, you know, as a filmmaker, it's all about prep and it's all about, you know, mm-hmm. g- as much prep as you possibly can for you, the camera team and for dudes like you, but then also having the ability, he said it really well. He was like, it's all about the jazz of it. So having the ability mm-hmm. to allow jazz music to happen, to allow this improv to happen, um, yeah. within these borders, like, like here's what the set looks like. Here's how big the fucking set is. So you can't shoot beyond this way. You can't shoot that way. So in that right. restriction of like, all right, so we have 15 minutes to get this scene done. I have to scrap my shot list. I can only shoot this dynamic kind of thing. So working with that small team, including the actor, there's this magical thing that happens and this sort of exciting discovery element that happens. And it gets... V- I, let me just put it this way. The, the few times that I've had it on sets, these little moments warm my soul so much that they are, they, they are the most important parts of my history 
Um, yeah, right. And it's it's right. it's really what what we fucking do it for. <laughs> it's, it's those little fucking <laughs> yes. moments, you know. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's where you you sort of feel connected to uh, what you're trying to do for other people. I feel like that's where you feel like you're building something that will be received by you know the however many thousands of strangers you hope receive it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it put, it bring it like brings you further into it. And also uh, expands expands your sense of it beyond yourself in a way that is appropriately generous. I think. Yeah, oh, man, and I love it. I, and when I was younger, and I didn't know what I was doing, I still it's still it's still arguable now. But when I was younger, <laughs> and, and, and I didn't know what, what I was doing completely, I would work with actors. And being a guy that started. I started as like a photographer and a cinematographer, so I came in, into the industry that way. And so uh, I've said this on other episodes, actors to me, uh, when I first started to work with actors, it was like, all right, there's a herd of unicorns in the corner. And if I go over and make too much noise, they're going to fucking scatter. You know what I mean? So, as a director, you're like, I don't know how to. And so it took me years to figure out, you know, how to communicate with with talent and and I, mm. I even hate using that word now with actors. Oh yeah. And um, but early on, I would be in the edit room and I'd be going through the process of editing, and all of my direction was getting in the way. And I found myself grabbing heads and tails from the actors who oftentimes were just like in the moment. They're just like waiting for the next take, and the camera's still rolling, and they're mm. breathing, and they're living in that moment. And so I was stealing those moments to help build those those character yeah. elements that I wasn't translating to the talent. And that's really smart. And then I realized like, Hey, look, I got to fucking build an atmosphere in which that happens naturally with the talent. Right. You know? Right. And that was the, that's really good on you for seeing that. That's uh that's no small feat. I feel like oh, dude, it's, it's, it's not seen by everybody. Well, it's humbling when you, a sitting in an edit room and you look through your clips and you go, this is all we got. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> no, no. and then B, B, uh, you put it all together and then you sit in an audience. I don't know if you feel this way, but you sit in a theater and it doesn't even matter. You, no one has to say a fucking thing. It's this weird, uncanny thing that happens where like suddenly the movie, you're seeing it through the eyes of all these strangers and Every fucking thing that you were convincing yourself is fine is not fine. You start you you start to see it for real. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so tenuous. It's so tenuous. It's great though. I love it, man. It is. It is. Uh, dude, this has been Bill. This has been a good conversation, man. I really appreciate it, dude. Right. That's my pleasure, Mike. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Um, and yeah. I could I could ramble with you for hours. For, <laughs> we should, well, someday, perhaps we will. Yeah, brother. But, uh, you know, we should probably wrap it up. I, as, I haven't done this in a while, but let me ask you this, because I'm sure that there's a bunch of actors that are listening to this episode. They saw the title of the show had to do with acting, and they scrambled to it, and they clicked on it. Um, <laughs> with your years of being in the room as a reader, what advice would you give an actor to go in for, uh, you know, uh, a role, essentially? Oh, man. Um, you know, I guess it would just be a kind of amalgam of, of what we were discussing earlier. You know, it's, it's you got to really fight for the understanding that it, it 
that the decision that will be made after you leave the room has nothing to do with what you do in the room mm-hmm. or oh, had, there's so many factors that exist outside of the room. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it sounds obvious, but all you can control are those moments you have in the room. Mm-hmm. And so it's been said before, but you have to make those moments, your moments. It's the setup is so, is so desperate. You know, it really, it is hard to get out of, the dynamic where you feel like you're asking somebody to do something for you and give me this job. You know, I'm going to show you that I'm worthy of this job. I'm going to try and satisfy, <laughs> you know, what they want. And it is impossible to do, uh, consciously, mm. you know, there's, you can, you cannot. I, I, you know, I've had probably my best auditions, probably 90% of my fucking fantastic auditions went nowhere. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so, so they're for you. Those moments are for you. And it's a weird dynamic to shift in your head. It takes a lot of practice to kind of do, because again, the setup is so, uh, you know, in the spotlight on the chopping block. Um, but if you can find a way to, to put yourself at ease and own your experience of it, it, it pays dividends and you're putting the people in the room at ease they don't, you know, that, I think that's the other thing that I've learned is the people behind the table, like they don't want to do this part of the job. Really? This is <laughs> awkward for them. Yeah. Like they don't want to sit there and be like, yes, no, yes, no. Worthy, not worthy. <laughs> you know? So if you can, if, if you can, if you can take enough charge of yourself to, to, to kind of take those stakes out of the room and say like, well, we're just going to hang for five to 10 minutes and see what we can see. Um, you know, then, then your perspective on what's possible is appropriate and, uh, and you'll have a better time and you'll understand that it's not a failure if you don't book the job, you yeah, know, yeah. and it's not about, it's not about you having not done enough of A, B or C or not being enough of this other thing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a real tricky dynamic to discover. Um, especially when you're young and you're real hungry, you know, it's how do you be hungry and ambitious and also like relaxed and ultimately not giving a shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a way that, you know, it's healthy, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. and how do you, how do you like, how do you put in effort? How do you work hard and not work too hard? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a tricky balance. Yeah. Um, so I'm afraid I don't have, you know, one little sound bite, but, uh, Just let it be yours as much as you can. There it is. Episode in the can. Man. I love episodes like this and I love meeting new people and I love meeting cool people. There's nothing better than meeting a humbled, hardworking uh, artist, right? Somebody who just loves, I hate to, I'm not going to, loves the process. Oh, I feel like such an asshole for saying that because it's the name of the show. But yes, someone that loves the process, someone that loves talking about it, someone that spends the time to appreciate what they've been through and share that knowledge with you lucky freebies out there tuning in and just absorbing all this knowledge. Um, thanks again, Bill, for being on the show. I really dig him. Uh, him and I talked a little bit off air. 
Um, I'd, I'd love to work with that guy. I think he's fucking great. Uh, and, you know, not only because of his talent on screen, but he seems like the type of dude that I'd want to be in the trenches with for about, you know, whatever is legal now, 12-hour set days, you know, even though the 15-hour ones are still happening out there. Um, but yeah, um, v- v- a lot of fun on this episode. Really dug it. And uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, let me catch up a little bit with you before we go. Uh, the podcast is deep in production, uh, getting all of our new guests and our new episodes lined up. I'm well ahead of, of the curve. So when you start to hear me record these things, I'm like five episodes deep. That's how, that's how on point we are this year. So, <laughs> so sometimes like I'll start talking about something which is relevant to me today. And then this episode comes out three weeks later. I apologize for that. I'm just trying to keep the can full. You know, just in case I get pulled off. Hopefully I get pulled off to work on something. I just want to make sure that I've got at least a month's worth of episodes uninterrupted so that you guys don't even notice when I disappear, you know? Um, Yeah, a lot of really cool stuff on the horizon for this year. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed the artists and uh, the creature designers, all these folks that uh, have said yes to the show. And I said it at the top of the episode. I just once again want to thank the PR company for making this happen. And I want to thank you guys uh, for en- engaging, telling your friends about the show. They're, the listenership has gone up. The numbers continue to go up. Um, and uh, that's helpful for me. Uh, because oftentimes, full transparency, I will talk to these actors i'll talk to these folks and say hey i'd love to have you on the show and they have to go through their pr folks and then the pr people are all about numbers and uh, i've talked about it before but your your engagement helps me get better guests okay so if you want me to get some bigger actors if you want me to get some bigger directors do this right now write to five of your friends that you think would like the show and suggest it to them or do a post on Twitter, do a post on your Instagram and say, if anybody's looking for a podcast right now, if you guys like explicit material, <laughs> if you want to be inspired by a trash talking, trash mouth dude, uh, listen to In Love With The Process. And if we get one listener from your post, it helps, the numbers go up, and then I have a better uh, argument to deal with PR folks and just go, well, I can tell you this many people listen to this show. So tell Arnold Schwarzenegger to get his fucking ass on here. <laughs> so yeah, help me out guys. Uh, all right. That's it. That's today's episode. I'm going to let you go. Um, you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday.